0: Welcome, one and all, to your favorite annual tradition on what's probably your favorite movie reviewing and reappraising podcast, Be Real. My name is Chance Sullivan Pfeiffer. And I'm
1: Noah Ballard.
0: And we've gathered here today for the third installment of, I think, something that really culturally has started to supersede Thanksgiving itself. It's Volume 3 of The Megapod.
1: God, have we really gotten to Volume Yes, we must have, because when I tried to save this file, it was like, Megapod 2 already exists, you don't want to replace, do you? And I was like, never! I would never replace my side of the audio
0: from a podcast
1: we did nearly a year ago.
0: At the end of November, when uh, we're supposed to be hanging out with family, Noah and I have, for some reason, fairly arbitrarily, I think, we do have a little extra time the weekend, but decided it's time to watch six movies.
1: Yeah, we challenge ourselves and uh, hopefully make something that's entertaining to the older relatives who quote unquote watch our podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And for our challenge this year, in past years, we had done, you know, twin movies, you know, stuff, movies that had come out about the same thing around the same time. And this year we decided, because we don't often have a reason to dig deep into kind of like lesser thought of franchises, that we would draft movies that are streaming. From franchises And that's what we did in our last mini-episode Noah, can we refresh the people on what we chose?
1: Absolutely Well, I chose Austin Powers The uh, Spy Who Shagged Me The second installment I picked um, the original 1990 uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles And then I picked Underworld um, Which Chance wasn't down for Black bald, and then went with my first alternate, the Mighty Ducks.
0: And then so I chose Jaws 4, and I chose Scream 2, and I chose Before Midnight, which Noah vetoed, leaving us to watch Oceans 12. So.
1: Yeah, and let me just say, like, when I put, as any draft sort of implies, there is some competitive. To the movies that we picked To be like the I would say the most Athletic of, the, of you know The three movies available in our opinion or the franchises available So I think we should score this One if you will and for Every good that we can convince The other person we get a Point we'll add it up at the end And see who drafted
0: better And what I think is so cool about this show is That wasn't my mentality at all but I'm Gonna roll with it
1: I know you were just playing friendly, but I'm taking the gloves off here and putting it to you that I drafted better than your garbage draft. You picked some bad movies, my friend. Uh, I would say the same is true for you, my friend.
0: Thanks. Thanks for doing this. Keep it real. Think slow. We should get through it just fine.
1: Little runner, Donnie. Donnie, Little writer.
0: So let's get into our Ethos corner. How by the, how did people take to you watching these movies over your Thanksgiving holiday, Noah?
1: I've gotta say that I mostly did it in private and like during commutes mm. because this is the 21st century. Lucy watched me watch Jaws 4. While she like creeped on Instagram and like listened to music on the New Jersey transit. Did I already say that? Mm-mm. And um, then I watched like Mighty Ducks and Chunks today. I watched Austin Powers at five o'clock this morning when I like couldn't get back to sleep. <laughs> um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I watched half of with Dave and then half of to beat a hangover from my 10 year reunion. Wow. Yeah. Ocean's 12 I watched from, like, I didn't really sleep last night. From, like, (laughs) midnight to 2, I watched Ocean's 12, then got three hours of sort of, like, half sleep, and then woke up and watched uh, Austin
0: Powers. You guys, your movie reviewing and reappraising podcast is by amateur critics so stalwart we watch these movies in 20-minute chunks and haven't slept in days. Yeah, I was definitely prepared to have, like, you know, a real like, you know, small family low key hangout. We all like kinda chill around the T V. And this ended up being more like a twenty five person, like, social engagement, like three nights in a row. And so my strategy for watching these movies was like simply to wait until the end of conversations. Like as soon as somebody got done telling me about their work and there was a lull, I was just like, well, I have to go return some videotapes. And I would yep. sneak back down to the hotel room, watch half of Mighty Ducks, and then kind of reappear, and everyone would be like, oh, it's him again. I'd be like, yep. And then an hour later, I would go finish Mighty Ducks.
1: <laughs> That's great. It
0: was very childish of me. But also, I have an oath I'm trying to keep up here.
1: Yeah. What a w- great way to have your relatives hate you.
0: They didn't know where I went or what I was doing.
1: Well, they probably think you're like an addict. Oh, <laughs>
0: Well, you know what? In a way, I just, am. For American film. He said that he film. went off to
1: like watch half a movie. Like that's got to be code for like, you know, an opioid problem, right?
0: Oh man, I thought they tried to get Mighty Duck off the street in the '80s. Oh my god! All right, He's let's been
1: hitting that Gordon Bombay.
0: <laughs> let's do a podcast. Okay, let's run. Okay, so let's start with Jaws The Revenge. Yeah. Which is 1987, which is directed by Joseph Sargent. Do you know what other Joseph Sargent movie we did, Noah? What other? I,
1: I saw this on IMDb last night when I was watching it. What is it, though?
0: The uh, Taken up Hell in 123. Oh, God. Yeah. It begins with Lorraine Gary reprising her role as Ellen Brody in a really kind of like back to basics almost approach to this franchise that had gotten like markedly worse, but still starring Roy Scheider and then much, much worse in kind of like a (laughs) 3D, like riding the wave of 3D late 70s, like horror exploitation.
1: Yeah, Dennis Quaid's in the third one. That's right. He plays, isn't he one of the sons? That's how it's like tied in. I
0: believe, yeah, that he plays. But if
1: you notice, (laughs) it's the only movie they don't, Cut back to in (laughs) sepia.
0: So you know. So you know. That's how
1: they loosely hold on to the original Jaws. And they even have a clip from the second one. Um, But yeah, it's the wife of Chief Brody from the original Jaws and her her like grown sons. And one of them is now working his way up to like fill his father's shoes. As as a sheriff on Amity, yeah. Yeah, as a deputy on Amity Island. And it's Christmas time. On Amity, there are a lot of people for it being probably, like, miserable weather on this, like, Nantucket-adjacent <laughs> island. <laughs> but there's still, there's a whole host of people putting up decorations and hanging out. And, yeah, the youngest son, like, goes out on a little boat to, like, pull a piece of wood. It was a piece of wood!
0: And uh, set to the Hallelujah Chorus, uh, he's ripped to pieces.
1: <laughs> he's ripped to pieces by a shark somehow... Adjacent to the original shark. Yes. Like they've got a if there was like a wanted poster for sharks, like the Brody family's like all over it.
0: Well, yeah, and then so what happens is Ellen Brody is convinced that this is connected to her husband's death, who I guess I guess uh Martin died of a heart attack, but then she's like, no, he died of the shark, scaring him <laughs> so bad. <laughs> I mean he probably <laughs> did Have you seen the first Jaws That's true Um And so she's so traumatized and then her other son The not dismembered one Comes back to the island <laughs> and and he's like, Ma, we got to get you out of town for a while. Come to the Bahamas where me and Mario Van Peebles are like looking at conch shells and maybe yeah. you'll meet yourself an eligible bachelor like Michael Caine who flies <laughs> and this plane. And lo and behold,
1: there's a, there's a slick pilot named Hoagie yeah. who's with his open arms waiting for Ellen to come down to the Caribbean where the fucking shark has <laughs> followed her defying the laws of nature, which is acknowledged in the film to come down to exact... The, his the completion of his *Scream* two, if you will, yep. of uh, <laughs> horror movies, where he gets his jaws for the revenge, That's his right. titular revenge. So the person getting revenge is the shark. Man's deepest fear has risen again. Jaws, the revenge. This time, it's
0: personal. So this movie is like historically bad. Everybody knows that. I knew that. Um yeah. what I thought was interesting about it was both is both this approach, this idea that we're going to reground the Jaws universe in kind of an underdeveloped character from the original film in Ellen Brody. And what this movie implies about the relationship between Ellen and the shark, I think is kind of interesting, even if it doesn't remotely bear it out. Right,
1: and nor does it really make any fucking sense
0: No, but the movie sort of suggests that she and the shark are, like, you know, like, of one mind, like, warring and She's like the
1: Ellen Ripley to Alien, like, she's part Alien because she's been reincarnated so many times
0: Exactly, and that's why it, like, follows her around and that she is the only one who can, like, end this kind of Hatfield and McCoy feud where one party is a shark
1: <laughs> Sharks be Brodies. Yeah, exactly Great White Sharks v. Brodies. And I have to say, like, what's so interesting about this movie is that the hyper-realism with which it's, like... Like, take that premise we just described, which is, like, sci-fi horror at best. And then, like, make a hyper-realist movie about, like, how boring it is to have, like, an elderly parent move in with
0: you in your, like, (laughs) newfound life. It's exactly right. Because, well, think about... The other Joseph Sargent movie we watched, Taking a Pelham, one, 2, 123, he's somebody who specializes in the grime on the subway stairs, not the cinematic nature of a 30-foot shark sliding up next right. to you. Right.
1: And he much like Spielberg like doesn't use a whole lot of shark, but when he does use shark, I have to say like he is the anti-Spielberg in like correct moments to use the shark.
0: <laughs> Well, he made his career in television and doing TV movies, and right. so like there's that that moment that's very telling in what should be like the biggest set piece of the movie where Mar- Mario Van Peebles has gone out to the end of the end of the boat, right, and the shark right. leaps up to sl- catch him in its jaws, and instead of like focusing on the you know the speed, the power, the size, the scope of the shot like any blockbuster director would, Sargent just goes like face face close-up shot of horror and it's just like dude this is not who shot jr joseph this is jaws four what are you doing
1: i mean it's just like a weird sort of remake of the original jaws in the bahamas Mm -hmm. Like, in its shot choices and its, like, sort of look of low budgetness. Yes. Like, it has a scrappy sort of look to it, which I sort of liked because it's, like, in the same voice as Jaws. Mm-hmm. Where, like, going back, like, Jaws 2 is, like, they're all horrible. Right. I Jaws 3, like, is not even trying to be a Jaws movie. It's just using the Jaws, like, conceit. Right. Um. And But then, like, this movie, it's so boring. Like, it's just so boring. <laughs> boring.
0: It's like, also like only 80 minutes long.
1: It's 80 minutes long and it just doesn't have like the like Michael Caine, like it's such a weird like overpaying a great actor to like be in your movie when you needed like not like Daniel Stern's like body double to come <laughs> play like what is essentially the protagonist in this film. Right. You should have spent real money like getting a Tom Cruise or like like even a Sheen right? to like be... Emilio could have grown a little beard and been the been the
0: son. Yeah, Lan- Lance Guest is just, like, just a... Pe- a even slo- is piece even that? He's a loaf of Wonder Bread with, uh, yeah. with a, like, a jerry curl. Good girl. beard, though. And God, if beard. his denim
1: shirt isn't always tucked into his pleated shorts. <laughs> right.
0: Um, yeah. It's also, like... There's just some things when it goes back to basic that it makes you realize are so good about the first one because like why else would you why else would we do a Jaws movie we didn't want in some way want to throw back to how amazing the original is. makes you realize what an incredible like MVP of original Jaws the Orca is (laughs) like they just get so much mileage out of that space and its relationship to the robot shark and this shark does a lot of lurching upward in open water. Which, like, doesn't make a lot of, like, kinetic sense.
1: Right. And there's, like, times where it's, like, a weird long shot of the shark just sort of, like, sinking. Yeah. I think the only sort of redeeming moment that I thought was sort of campy fun was when the shark attacks the banana bone.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's, the gif-, That's really- the gif of the movie for sure.
1: <laughs> there's this incredible shot where the shark, in slow motion, mind you, completely goes out of from the water and like, because it like misjudged the speed of the banana boat, (laughs) instead of taking out the brody daughter, it like misses and instead impales the grown woman (laughs) sitting just behind her. Oh my Lord. It's just such a weird, like the shark is human kind of moment. (laughs) Even sharks make mistakes.
0: You know, I want to return to something you said earlier. Speaking of, uh, I've got to return some videotapes moments. Lorraine <laughs> Gary has a lot of those in this movie where she's just like in a room and then she's just like, fuck, I have to go think about the shark.
1: I loved the, um, when the, the husband and wife, Michael and his wife yeah. are just like walking along the beach, like right after mom moves in and Michael just starts running, yeah. and the wife's like, where are you going? And he sort of looks back and shouts, for some reason the script calls for this. <laughs> Husband, who I
0: know so well, to where do you flee? <laughs> Don't you want to look at my weird shark art? Oh my god, I loved it in uh, 1987 Bahama to uh, a largely Afro caribbean island can script sculpture work from white american artists who live there <laughs> right
1: that's how you know they've made it
0: yep oh god um
1: what a te- what terrible timing do you think the shark knew that she was in the middle of it like accepting this like honor of having her work displayed permanently on the bahamas i was just like
0: Fuck you! I'm gonna eat your kid. <laughs> I think its titular revenge is uh, complex and all-consuming, and it, it knew just that like
1: ruined everything that everyone on screen was looking forward to in some really boring way. Right. Except for the banana boat.
0: If I if I can't get Michael, I'm gonna wait till the moment of your art unveiling and then like fuck with you. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and the shark also knew that emotionally it would be way worse if there was a shark attack at the unveiling that like Michael didn't go to because him and his wife were fighting. <laughs> not- How could you not have been there? The shark knew. <laughs> it fucked over everybody by eating that banana bone. Oh,
0: my God. <laughs> the woman behind our daughter had her abdomen ripped to shreds, and also I've been welding that for months. So let's get to our first rating, shall we? And let's first tell people how we rate movies on, uh, this the third Megapod.
1: All movies in most of life can be described with our rating system. The four categories are good, good, bad, bad, good, bad, and bad, good. The first good or bad refers to intellectual quality. The second is pure pleasure.
0: Good, good is easy. Things that make you feel smart and happy and that for both reasons you'd want to do again. Like watching The Departed or Jaws or calling your pal to do a podcast with him. Good, good movies make Noah say... Love that.
1: Bad, bad is easy too. Things that bring you neither stimulation nor joy. Basically, you just wasted your time. Things like watching White Chicks or Wild Wild West. A conceptual double album of Christian pop punk. Bad, bad movies make Chance say things like... I hated that.
0: Good bad, then, is something you recognize as worthwhile, but not something you enjoy. Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, Most Classical Music, Eating Your Goddamn Vegetables. Good bad is about being an adult, and these kinds of movies make no assay. I mean, I'm glad I saw it once, but never
1: again. Conversely, bad good is for your thoughtless inner child. It's Cheetos, it's late career Billy Joel, it's movies like Christmas Vacation.
0: Honey, Kids. And Deep Blue Sea. Bad good movies make chance say... But it failed in such an entertaining way. Got all that? Now buckle up, because you're about to hear an opinion stated as fact. So it's not any different how we rate movies. It's the same as all the other episodes. And this movie um, is a bad bad. (laughs) <laughs> this movie unless
1: you have like a really good friend who you like catch up with uh, catch up with on the phone like every week or two and you like both want to watch it together yeah. and talk about it like it's a bad bad
0: it's very there's a lot of like just uncomfortable screen presences too that like don't make their way over into like crazy fun like lorraine gary is never crazy fun it's so upsetting to like Behold her, <laughs>
1: yeah. And I have to say, the movie also starts on weird footing because it like doesn't really have. I guess it kind of has its like swimming, yeah. but like it really <laughs> sort of opens with like the son that gets eaten has like a very strange relationship with Lorraine Gary. Yeah, like right. a little too sort of uh, psycho mm-hmm. Norman Bates esque,
0: right? And they both like He's like you always overcook
1: the fish. <laughs> You never let me touch the fish.
0: <laughs> well, why don't you go out to the harbor and touch a fish then, Sean? Yeah. And then it touches So him. Sean's
1: already like kind of a a weirdo when he gets inevitably eaten. Yeah.
0: Oh my god. Um Yeah, and there's just, you know, a lot of like worthless tech and like really not well, you can't say too much about how bad Mario Van Peebles' accent is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god It's really funny too that Michael Kane Clearly has the kind of role That like Paul Reiser had In uh Paul or uh What is it uh Joshy Oh yeah it's like Michael how many days Can a hundred thousand dollars buy you For right. and he's like full <laughs> Yeah It's like okay we'll do two days on location And then the other two days we'll do in an L.A. set <laughs> when you're in this fucking Plane
0: I'll do it, but I don't want to dance with that older lady. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so then that he kind scene
1: of, is so funny. Oh
0: my god!
1: If you really like pull back from it, it's really like the Jaws franchise's response to like not Jaws three, one through three, but sort of like an on Golden Pond <laughs> kind of audience. Oh yeah. Like the people who don't necessarily like want a whole lot of gore, right. they like want a, a movie about like an independent older woman,
0: right? Maybe taking a last this is. shot it's at love. So boring, but with one banana boat massacre.
1: <laughs> if you like your stories about old, old people with like one banana boat massacre, <laughs> you'll love this Jaws: the, the Revenge. You'll love Jaws Four. And if an not, adult it's Jaws. a bad,
0: bad. <laughs> Oh, man. So, Jaws 4 streaming now on Netflix. Let us now move to 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
1: Yes, which is streaming on Hulu, which is a little difficult to find on Hulu. It wasn't easy. Did you easy. notice that? Yeah. You have to like really like hunt for it, otherwise it redirects you to the animated series, which I cannot uh, recommend or not recommend. I just haven't seen it, I don't think.
0: So, take a shot at this movie, Noah. Tell me what it's about.
1: So... <sighs> You don't know this in the beginning, which I think is one of the movie's biggest flaws, frankly, (laughs) is that a rat who was already pretty, like, anthropomorphic, who lived in Japan, had a master who was, uh, um, like, he he was an expert in uh, ninjutsu. Is that a real thing? Sure. And he like the rat like imitated his movements. The rat then like comes to America under mysterious circumstances. And then he's like in the sewer and he like finds these four turtles. And then they all like decide to take shots of like toxic waste, (laughs) glowing green toxic waste. And then they decide that they're ersatz family. Now that they're human, uh, they're like human forms of these things uh, is that he'll, the rat will be like the father and train them, ninjitsu but also raise them as a single dad and okay you have to this is what i find the most bizarre thing about the setup to <laughs> this movie is that he raises them with the art of ninjitsu names them all after a famous italian artists and somehow has them adopt california surfer culture like all
0: in one fell swoop it's you're it's the story of america this is a harrowing right. immigrant story as far as i'm concerned it, it
1: is a harrowing immigrant story And then, for some reason, they decide to take the skills that they've learned to stop the recent New York crime wave uh, in an opening epilogue, we see it, with the help of a wily news reporter. It's tough to say how one would categorize the character that uh, Elias Cotius portrays, uh, other than, like, (laughs) hipster, like, it's sort of a Kramer
0: of this...
1: Like he's sort of comic relief, but also like reinforcements to their mission to to stop the hand, which is this evil ninjutsu oh the foot, sorry. This evil ninjutsu operation that has come to New York from Japan to just steal things and be like lost boys. Right. And they're led by this like very strict dictator named the Shredder.
0: Yeah. Oh family grows
1: But if you can buy into all of that, it's a big, this movie big is so weirdly like a fun sort of New York City movie at its core, isn't it?
0: There, it definitely has its moments.
1: I, but I It's don't, just sort of like a, a 90s Law & Order episode <laughs> starring Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
0: Right, it's kind of like Bad Lieutenant pushed together with New Jack City, pushed together with Pinocchio, but with right. Turtles.
1: It's like, let's get Jim Henson in the mix.
0: Um, and I like April O'Neil, played by uh, Judith Hoag. She's the crack reporter from Channel 3. Um, yeah. I don't love how she talks for 20 uninterrupted minutes at the beginning about <laughs> like what the foot is. Because what they do doesn't make any sense. They just, like, steal right. old ladies' TVs so they can go play on, like, Pleasure Island. Right. Where the, where the best of them get to become ninjas for no reason.
1: <laughs> the most loyal ones get to become ninjas. But that's why they're going through so many of the henchmen.
0: That's right. It's
1: because they're not. they're clearly not properly trained. Can I ask you a weird question? Yeah. Did you... Were you uncomfortable... At all with the similarities between The relationship between April O'Neil And the titular Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles And that of the three women And Jack Nicholson from the Witches of Eastwick (laughs) In that they have like a (laughs) Weird experience together where they're not Like exactly allies Or on the same page And then she sort of gets sort of uh, That syndrome you get Where you sort of fall in love with your captor After she watches her world Burn to the ground (laughs) And then she can't stop talking about like how like great her new friends the Turtles are.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, it is a little disconcerting. But I also feel like April hanging with the Turtles is the best part of the movie, <laughs> for sure. Oh, Be- because definitely. The, because the Turtles just, like, occupying <laughs> physical space, just, like, walking in and out of an apartment, is some of the, like... Hardest I've laughed at just like <laughs> unintentional visual comedy in a film in a long time.
1: Well, that's the thing the costumes, if there's no, nothing digital about any of this. No. So there, it's four guys like, m- like, sort of puppeting the speaking of human sized turtles, <laughs> and they're very buff, extremely. And it's like unclear where the costume ends and where the man begins, or vice versa. So it's, like, very believable, but because it's so believable, it's almost ridiculous. Yeah. Like, why would such a realistic, like,
0: man-turtle exist? It's sort of funny that the effort was paid. Like, the valley of the uncanny that exists in this movie is so deep... Like, when you see just, like, Raphael just, like, shadow boxing on top of an actual, like, roof garden. While people are like, yeah. what in the fuck? Or when he goes to the movie in the trench coat, it is right. hysterical. <laughs> yeah, there is a scene where this
1: human-sized turtle, a little bit bigger, frankly, than, like, a human. Oh, yeah. Puts on, like, a men's 54 trench coat <laughs> and, like, goes and sees, like... A, a primetime, like a primetime movie. Not a matinee. He's not like sneaking in in an early morning. He like joins a crowd. Yeah. I guess in New York, if you see a huge turtle wearing a trench coat, you just like shut your fucking mouth and never speak of it again. <laughs>
0: just don't make but eye contact.
1: <laughs> just don't make eye contact with the big turtle. Whatever you do. Yeah. I guess that would be a good place to hide if you were a, like a human sized turtle. Yeah. Um like Omaha would not stand for three human or four human sized turtles and their dad the rat.
0: It <laughs> would force the human turtles and Yoda rat to the outskirts of the city like very quickly. But right. yeah, if the, you
1: want that shit go to Lincoln. The best
0: <laughs> The best moments of the movie are definitely where you're like, is this the most expensive cosplay like ever created?
1: But for that reason like there's something sort of interesting about how like like, how f- going... They, they used every dollar in the... I bet this movie went horribly over budget. Yeah. Like, just, just the how elaborate some of the set pieces are and how, like, just bizarrely, like... You'd you never see, like, a costume, like, pull or snag in a weird way. Like, it's beautifully filmed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's just such a stupid premise for a movie that it's, like, almost hard to... That that would be, I think, the only flaw in it, is that, like, if you were going to get all this creative power together to, like, make a movie, like, why wouldn't you have just, like, made anything but the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles?
0: (laughs) I think it has bigger flaws, which is that, like, you know, other than the incidental comedy and admittedly, like, good direction uh, of the turtles, like, I don't give a shit. Like, the last 40 minutes of just, like, who is Shredder? All will be revealed. And then, like, they just, like, fight. And, like, will Casey Jones, who, like, seems like he shouldn't be allowed near other human beings. Like, will he get to be with April? Um, I mean, I like that Sam Rockwell was in the last, like, two minutes where he's kind of, like, the leader of the sub-ninja Foot Clan. And he's just like, well, I don't... Okay, well... Shredder's been defeated. I do like stealing stuff, but maybe I'll do it on my own time.
1: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> maybe like, we could uh, <clears throat> do this less of a group thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe I'll freelance for a while. This company seems to have uh, lost its luster.
0: So, yeah, from the moment that you started watching this, I know you were trying to bring me around via text. And I totally admit that it's like really funny to see these turtles. Right be turtles walking down a hall, lying in a bathtub, being under a kitchen table. Uh, But I just, the movie just couldn't make me like care about like a star Wars level universe that is like rendered for like 11 year olds. Kawabunga.
1: Well, if I can make an argument before you get to your rating, you're talking about a movie that's technically well-made. But has an entertainment value problem
0: Oh interesting
1: Which is you don't care about The mythology of it So I think if I can bring you around to it Would you admit that this is a good bad?
0: That's fascinating I Because I was totally ready to just like Vehemently argue it's not bad good Which it's not You could I.
1: The technical value alone of this movie I think is worth
0: watching You're right It's good bad I'm in A soft good-bad. But a good-bad nonetheless. I like that. You're good. You deserve these points you're getting from me. Nice. Um, All right. Where to now, my friend?
1: You want to go to... uh, I think Scream 2. Scream 2.
0: Scream 2 came out in 1997, one year after the smash hit Wes Craven comeback, Scream. So pretty quick on the uptake there for a second one.
1: It's quick, and it feels quick in its sort of, like, magicianship, I would say. Yeah. Like, the tricks it tries to play are... So, have you seen... You've seen Scream 1, right? Have you seen all four Screams?
0: Only one and two.
1: I've seen... I I went through a period where I, like, watched all four Screams. Yeah. When they were, like, all on Netflix or wherever they live. Um, HBO, right?
0: This is on HBO right now, yeah
1: it doesn't make like a ton of sense out of context. And I think we have to sort of look at that when we look at like not first movies.
0: What do you mean? Say more.
1: I think like you need to sort of understand what happened in the first movie. And it never really gives you that. Did you not see the first one? Well, here's like a five minute uh, prologue about like what you've missed.
0: So Sydney's gone to college, and but there's still, because Gail Weathers, played by Courtney Cox, wrote a book about the murders that happened in her California hometown that comprised the, the first movie, there's this very, like, 90s monoculture media frenzy um, around Sydney and, like, around, like, these new murders that start happening while she's at school. Um, and in doing that... The movie also, because it's Scream and it is, like, pioneering this idea of self-aware horror, it also has, like, ideas about, like, what it is to make a sequel and, pun intended, just how craven of a process that is (laughs) in terms of, like... Right.
1: Yeah. There's this whole sort of, like, pedantic thing at the beginning where a bunch of film students debate the value of both violence in film and if sequels can ever be better than originals. exactly. And then the movie like sort of winks and posits that maybe this is the empire strikes back. Cause you're waiting for them to say empire strikes back, but they never do until like closer to the climax of the movie. If you notice, that's right.
0: That's right. Um, and Jamie Kennedy then kind of re-ups that famous scene from the first one. The first one, he's like, don't you know the rules of a horror film? You know, you can never have sex. You can't do drugs. If you ever say, I'll be I'll be right back, you're not coming back. And in this one, he's like, well, don't you know the rules of horror sequels? Um, there has to be, it has to be a higher body count. And then there's this very, like, one of the cleverest moments of the movie, I felt, was just like, and the one thing you have to do if you want to turn it into an all-out successful franchise is, and then David Arquette cuts him off right before he says the answer.
1: Right. So you're dealing—it's this movie,
0: I guess? Question mark. You so you're dealing with the same kind of—I um, don't know—very well-studied self-awareness from Kevin Williamson that like makes for some crackle, but does it actually make for a good sequel? Because the movies like keep getting worse. There's no doubt about that. Oh,
1: certainly, the third and fourth one are atrocious.
0: Right, and this one um, we can come out and say is, of course, not as good as
1: Scream. Of course not. Um, but yeah, but you're sort of seeing whether or not This weird experiment of self-aware teen stuff Can, like, be a genre mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's Kevin Williamson It's the creator of Dawson's Creek It's that, like, very witty, right. snappy dialogue He's sort of the Aaron Sorkin of the WB drama The way I see it, someone's out to make a sequel So it's our
0: job to observe the rules of the sequel Number one, the body count is always bigger number two the death scenes are always much more elaborate how do we find the killer randy that's what i want to know well let's look at the suspects i'm not interrupting anything am i it's him he can see us do you want to die tonight
1: it doesn't need the opening scene either right The opening scene is so, like, not that important to the movie. The opening scene is Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett Smith going to the movies, and what they're going to see is the movie based on the movie that you saw in Scream 1, Mm -hmm. which has been based off the book that Courtney Cox's character, Gail Weathers, has written And anyway, a lot of time has gone by. And the movie they really milked (laughs) they've milked this property for all it's worth.
0: The movie in all of its sensitivity, by the way, is titled Stab. (laughs) On on the one hand, I think this movie is like almost the synecdoche New York of like trash horror movies because it's so self-aware at every turn. And then there are the moments where they talk about what would go into a sequel of Stab? What would go into a sequel of the fictional movie in the sequel of the original movie? And it's just like, oh, my... The movie definitely has a brain in its head, but then I think that it's such a, like, thinky, hat on a hat on a hat, that it, like, never actually works its way back to a very compelling teen story.
1: That's the interesting thing about the first one is that, like, it not only acknowledges all the hokey things from horror, it then, like, supersedes them with an unexpected ending of it's actually an intimate relationship that you're, that's on trial here. Right. Where And this one just does the same thing. It's almost like, who hasn't been on screen in a while? It's definitely him.
0: Well, and who's the one who, like, looks exactly like Billy Lewis? Right. Who's? Right. That's you know, how unimaginative it is. looks like Skeet it
1: Ulrich Moore? Yeah. Is it Jamie Kennedy or is it uh, Timothy Oliphant?
0: <laughs> so yes, it's very unimaginative at the most pivotal times. And very imaginative about these like kind of like side roads that don't matter that much. Right. But I tell you what
1: pulled this movie out of its Michael Caine nosedive into that Bahamian <laughs> island on his little plane was the sudden... And absurd and unsort of you know announced arrival of Liev Schreiber in this movie. That's right. Who plays? I guess because I remember it sort of and the movie references this though in a very strange way. The who he was the red herring of the initial movie who had been in jail because he was accused of killing um, Sydney's mom. Yeah, uh, Sydney's mom. And so he's like looking for his I think he's the only interesting character on screen. He's looking for his like public vindication, and he like hasn't truly gotten over the trauma of being falsely accused for a year, and he believes the world owes him something.
0: yeah, he's on some kind of like John Mark Carr like media tour or something right. um, this is funny because, like i try like I said at the beginning, i watching these movies like. In you know, a like living space with people walking in and out and like sitting down to watch them with me, like did not go well this weekend. People were like, sure. "Oh God, not that!" But in this one, my mom was yeah, like, "Yeah." This
1: morning, I was. Oh, you go ahead.
0: When when Liev Schreiber comes on screen, he's like, "Sydney, come on, don't you think I deserve it? Don't you want to be on Diane Sawyer with me, Sydney?" My mom like looked up from mashing the mashed potatoes and was like, "He's a good actor." And I was like, "Yeah, mom, it's fucking Leah Schreiber." <laughs> a way in which this movie ups the ante in a legitimate sequel to original way is that while the first one has the classic sort of, you know, babysitter alone gets stabbed in the house while somebody is, you know, fucking right. over on the phone, this one finds some interesting ways to kind of place itself in, like, the capitalist frenzy of the moment. Like, yes, that prologue doesn't amount to anything with Jada Pinkett and Omar Epps, but there is something kind of horrifying in a different way About how other people's like chaos and frenzy like hides actual violence and the same thing kind of happens in that with the play where like Ghostface mask just appears in that scene where like Sydney stars in a play for some fucking reason in this movie but there are interesting moments of busy horror.
1: I also liked the casting choice of uh, Lovejoy from Titanic as I texted you about uh, being her theater director
0: and Billy Zane should have been in this movie I agree with your text you sent back.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're right that it has, I mean, that is definitely it's swimming sort of prologue. Yeah. But I feel like it's too cute, like, for the movie now. Like, I think a more interesting movie would have been just putting Liev Schreiber's character at the center of it. And, like, what's his college experience like, like, being accused of being a murderer and then murders start to happen? Right. Like that's more interesting
0: Especially because As we start to see With a lot of these sequels We're watching like It doesn't care that much About Sydney Right Like her pain It's just not that interested Well it's not
1: new And it's not novel anymore And it's exactly the same So what they try to do Is prop up the movie With these like Funny side characters And like Whether Courtney Cox And David Arquette Who I couldn't remember If they were husband and wife In the 90s Or brother and sister And I was like Wait they're not gonna kiss Are they (laughs) Uh, And then I looked it up and I was like oh they were just They were just married they weren't related They look a little like similar
0: They do so where do you land on this one buddy
1: I thought you were going to make A stronger case for it but I think you've Had the same if not Stronger grievances than I've had I could have Seen my way to Maybe like A bad good but if you're not going to defend It at all I'm just going to have to give it A a bad bad.
0: (laughs) I think I've said that it's Like quite interesting in a number of ways but then Now I'm leaning more toward like It's interesting in a good bad way Because like if you were to read the Screenplay you would be like oh this is quite This is some interesting thinking you've done here Kevin Williamson about what you're doing even Though when you end up watching it I think a movie that is this Self-aware But is also like so low so
1: self-aware it's like masturbatory well
0: that's that's the thing it has there's almost a guilt to it when you are so self-aware but you still have to work in such a lowbrow way i think the movie almost becomes kind of self-hating like when (laughs) like when timothy oliphant delivers his his reason for you know killing all these people at the end he's just like I'm going to get Alan Dershowitz to defend me and say the movies made me do it. And then Laurie Metcalf comes in and is just like, I have a reason too, but it's not nearly so nineties as Timothy the It's like, this is a movie made in 1997. Like, how are you possibly this kind of like, I think it's almost cripplingly self-aware for the stupid thing <laughs> it has to do. So I think I might go good, bad. You've kind of awakened <laughs> me to this possibility.
1: Interesting. I mean, had you made that speech, You know, 30 seconds earlier, I wouldn't have uh, maybe given it a bad bad. But I'm not going to I'm not going to, you know, give it up now. That's all right, baby. All right. Where to now? Austin Powers. Oh, God. Let's just say (laughs) before we start our critical reappraisal of Austin Powers, that this is maybe the most poorly aged sex comedy that i've encountered so (laughs) let us before we even get into anything about it let's just all check our sort of understanding of the things we're going to get into here
0: that's fine so this was the one spider shaggy came out in 97 too right
1: 97 was that two years after the original international man of mystery that's right
0: so this was one of the ones where i was like well, you picked Underworld because you wanted to torture me and get me to use my black ball. And you picked Mighty Ducks because, like, that's a genre I think you enjoy. And you picked um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because it was just like, what the hell is this going to be like? Do you have a reason for picking this? Does Is there is some... of? I was thinking, does Noah have some, like, affection for, like, the Naked Gun movies that's, like, running off into being curious about, about these? I thought about
1: doing the Naked Gun movies, um, and I'll definitely, like, find a way to use them at some point in our time together. Um but I feel like this one was such a like cultural icon that like really has had no conversation about it other than like this year, because people bought it as Halloween gifts as a reference to baby driver in that like dumb visual joke of being oh, right. of the guy saying to get Mike Myers masks and he gets Austin powers masks. But this movie has like not been talked about. And I Thought it would be like sort of an interesting thing in terms of both parody and like sex comedy but like what i found <laughs> in I, I i haven't seen these movies since i was in high school when they were popular
0: they were so that you're right what is interesting about I think them i
1: saw all three of these movies in the theaters
0: What is interesting about them is it can, like, barely be overstated how fucking popular these movies were among, like, boys ages, like, 11 to 15.
1: And I would say ubiquitously. Or maybe that's just another misconduct that we've done to the female population (laughs) in the late 90s. Assuming
0: they liked Austin Powers.
1: Assuming they liked Austin awesome Powers and weren't deeply offended, if not repulsed by the lines that young boys would say to each other. Right. Do I make you horny?
0: <laughs> Austin Powers. Crazy baby, yeah! Is. Back! Yeah baby, yeah! With the help of the beautiful Felicity Shagwell. How does it feel, baby? Mmm,
1: lower. How does that feel, baby? Uh. So Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me, finds Austin, um, but still in 1999 uh, on his honeymoon with Elizabeth Hurley, who was the co-star of the original Austin Powers. And during their, well, they're in their honeymoon suite, and Austin notices that Elizabeth Hurley is beginning to act a bit funny. And then he realizes that she can be controlled by the hotel's television remote control and then realizes that she's not only a robot but a robot hell-bent on killing him, which totally is against the whole idea of them falling in love at the end of the first movie. (laughs) Uh But then we're suddenly in another... uh, So she's dead. Elizabeth Hurley's dead. And now... It finds, uh, 1999 finds Austin needing to go back to the 1960s to restore his mojo that has been stolen by his nemesis, Dr. Evil. Both characters played by Mike Myers should be added. And this is the movie famous for not only Dr. Evil, but Dr. Evil cloning himself, but a little bit smaller. It's him, but smaller. It's a mini me. That's
0: right. I really couldn't remember what was from what. Right.
1: Was Fat Bastard in the first movie? Fat Bastard is an invention of the second film. Okay. All right. And maybe the worst invention of any of the films
0: in any film ever.
1: What's well, literally like if you ask Jay Roach to make someone like more offensive than like Cousin Eddie. Mhm. He's the Cousin Eddie of this movie and he comes in at a time where Unlike Scream Two, desperately needing Liev Schreiber, I think he comes in at a moment where, like, you just have to almost like give up on this movie being that good.
0: I, yeah, that's you're describing my what happened to me.
1: And maybe this is what we liked about it when we were kids, but can I just say that there's like just something sort of reprehensible about it? Oh yeah, go on. Like. To see, like, whereas, like, I was sort of charmed by, like, professionals really made four big turtle suits and then had, like, paid a bunch of people to, like, run around and knock around boxes and, like, put a loose screenplay together and call it entertainment. Right. For this one, it's, like, are, like, seven grown people, like, really staring into, like, a floater in the toilet where the tracking device that Heather Graham shoved up fat (laughs) bastard's ass is while she was there doing reconnaissance, but like essentially being like sexually assaulted by him.
0: Yeah. You're describing like kind of the, what we imagine to be the, the onset counterpart of our rating system, I think, which is in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's just like, this was such a silly thing. Like, why did you put so much effort towards such a silly thing? And this one is just, like, did you really force, like, Heather Graham, like, a professional actor who's been in a lot of really good movies, to, like, do this? To do, like, this Mike Myers anti-vanity vanity vanity project?
1: Right. And, like, the choices that it makes are so, like, crass. You know, like, to even have, like, from the opening credits sequence where it's, like, Mike Myers... Which, like, I think dancing around naked in public, like, just doesn't have a great taste in my mouth, like, (laughs) just at the current moment. Yeah. But, like, it's just so, like, stupid. Right. Like, to, the because, like, the movie likes to make sort of family guy style jokes where it's, like, here's a visual thing where, like, a banana, like, covers his dick, but then, like, someone eats it, Mm -hmm. you know? Or then the thing, like, where the spaceship looks like a penis and they, like, do the montage of people saying synonyms for penis. Right. And they go so far as to say, like, get Willie Nelson involved so they can use the word Willie. Like, how do you imagine that, like, phone call went down to his management? It's like, we're making an elaborate dick joke. Would Mr. Nelson like to be involved? (laughs) I think what you admired so much about Scream 2 is, like, the kind of, like, sort of film criticism that this movie lacks. Like, I guess I thought going into it, it would be a more subversive takedown to, like, how, like, women and sex are portrayed in these, like, 60s action movies. Yeah, like,
0: Roger... It's I think it's specifically going after Roger Moore-era Bond. Right.
1: And, like, in, like, Flint kind of... Yeah. Brolin stuff. Or not Brolin, uh, Coburn stuff. Um, but what it does is just makes a... F- Fartier jokey version of one of them by like sort of exploiting cleavage and pretty girls and like guns and like you know, it's it's got everything those movies have, it's just plus potty jokes. Right. It's not it's not making fun of it so much as like maybe I remembered it doing. Yeah. And for that it sort of loses me on any sort of deeper humor now that I am an adult.
0: Let me ask you this. Did you have. I will say that, yes, when Fat Bastard begins to take a prominent role in the movie, I was honestly just done. I mean, I was done. (laughs) But before that, I did have some like morbid curiosity about just like watching a man like tiptoe naked along the edge of his psyche and seem like he was going to fall. Like watching Mike Myers kind of like be all in on the Austin Powers character, but also kind of like really like violently ill about having to be all in on the Austin Powers character was interesting for like a hot minute.
1: But I have to say though, like whereas I don't think Austin Powers though, like maybe it was, I mean, these movies were wildly successful. People love these fucking movies. <laughs> um, But like in retrospect, I just don't think that like, Austin Powers is a strong enough character to, like, really carry a three-movie series. I mean, I think what carried maybe... I mean, I mean there are, the sequels to this are terrible, too, but, like, Pirates of the Caribbean, I think what's good about that movie is that Jack Sparrow is not the protagonist. Mm-hmm. He, If anything, he's comic relief. Whereas this movie's like, what if Jack Sparrow's the, the hero? It's like, well, then you have four garbage Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Right.
0: Right, it needs to, like, it would be more interesting if the protagonist was, like, you know, Maxwell Smart or Archer, and Austin Powers was his sidekick. But
1: that's the thing about Archer, and even, like, the Get Smart remake, it's, like, critical of what it is adapting. Right. You know, especially in Archer. I mean, I think that's, like, bitingly funny about, like, how, like, women are portrayed, especially in, like, office sitcom-y kind of ways. Mm-hmm.
0: Most of the movie I spent honing the theory that I'm about to present to you now, which is that the history of comedians playing everyone in their movies is a history of downfall. But like Mike, when is the last time Mike Myers was in a movie? Five years? He did The, it's been a while the while Love since... Guru? Was that his last one?
1: Probably. Um, Should be anybody's last one. I've never seen but it. But I
0: mean, I think about, you know, Eddie Murphy turning toward like, the Nutty Professor and Norbit, and I think about Mike Myers just being like, you know what? I'm gonna. It's not enough that I'm gonna be Doctor Evil and Austin Powers. I need to be Fat Bastard as well. And when you think psychologically about what these, it must mean for these people, how they weigh collaboration. Do they even find other people funny? Like, do, doesn't a healthy like artist who wants to be on a film set like want to laugh and vibe and play with other people? And I think when you get to that point, it's just like. You're in for the fall, man, because I I think you have no taste. I think you have no perspective. I
1: think it's it's really telling that, like, maybe in Will Ferrell's funniest moment in the scene he's in, the camera's on Austin. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. That's very true.
1: You know, the camera's on Mike Myers, and you just hear Will Ferrell from off camera. Yeah. Which is so, like, interesting. I mean, I guess it kind of works, and it lets you imagine how horribly injured he is, but, like... I almost believe Mike Myers thinks what's funny is his reaction and not what's being said.
0: Right, right. And that's what I, when I threw out kind of anti, because he's disgusting, purposefully, but it's kind of like anti-vanity vanity. vanity. It's just like, I am the funny thing on screen and even me at my ugliest is the thing you want to see.
1: Not everyone can hit that threshold uh, Martin Lawrence did with uh, Big Mama's House. (laughs)
0: Honestly, I was trying to think about this and like the back half of my theory here is the only move once you've gone to Norbitland is to be Peter Sellers and being there. The only move you have is to then like play kind of like an unstable, like, um, reaction obsessed It' You gotta do person. like
1: your Bill Murray and Lost in Translation pivot.
0: I watched this whole movie. Uh, I think it's bad, bad. And the only interesting thing, interesting thing I got from it is that playing every role cometh before the fall.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting theory, and I think uh, one of the few positive takeaways I have from Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me, um, yeah, I was just so baffled by this movie and kind of, like, grossed out by it, and if anything, it's sort of, like, it's sort of its own Smithsonian exhibit, you know, to, like, what was popular comedy-wise for, like, a broad comedy, like, we ask ourselves, like, where the Paul Blarts of the world came from. And it's like movies like this.
0: Right. Because if you just like focus, if you, if you take a whoopee cushion into a focus group and you can still get half the room to laugh, then like,
1: I didn't give a shit about any of that love stuff, but when she sat on that whoopee cushion, I, that's where I was on board.
0: Right. It's a, it's a litmus test that reflects poorly on the American psyche. I would say
1: in retrospect, like sort of hauntingly. So,
0: <laughs> you know, and I'm sorry for the small part I played in it.
1: I mean, we're telling people not to watch it again, so if anything, we're doing the world a service.
0: Before the weekend, we told them to watch it so they could listen to the podcast. I'm sorry for that, too.
1: Hopefully, we've undone as much damage as that. Hopefully, we've prevented more people than we've... Do you think a lot of people were like, yeah, I should watch Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me over Thanksgiving weekend? I hope not. Uh, I hope so, too.
0: I think this is a nice moment... Where I, I wanted to pick a moment to read you a text from my friend Dan McCarthy, who texted me to say how much he enjoyed Three three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which, by the way, I, uh-huh. I wrote about on the on Be Real podcast. I read com. that. That was good. Thank you, friend. Uh, but he was just like, oh, you've got to see this. Um, and he said, I know you're committed to watching Utter Garbage this weekend, but if you have time to make it to Three Billboards. And I was like, hey, man, like, we didn't necessarily know it was going to be all utter garbage and he said well i did listen to the movie draft and it sounded like you were gearing up for the movie version of a hot dog eating contest so i bet you don't have very much time (laughs) which i felt was like Uh, i couldn't i couldn't say it was wrong
1: did you put up the your review of it to sort of like cleanse yourself of like what you knew it was it was the purge before the binge
0: (laughs) a little bit yeah sure
1: (laughs) that's good um no i mean i think if anything I was equally looking to like Frustrate you as I was to like Kick my foot around the garbage Heap of like modern cinema To see if we could find any like hidden gems
0: <laughs> uh, Yeah We maybe just should have said it up front wh- wh- Now we go to uh, To what, Oceans 12? Oh Hey <laughs> Okay, we can go to Oceans 12 Oceans 12 is streaming on Amazon right now
1: We need a job. We need a high-paying job. Well, now we're too hot to work anywhere in this country. Where are we going?
0: You're doing recon work on our anniversary? Taz. And you are Mr. Diaz. Miguel Diaz. What's your name? Craig. Craig, let me ask you something. Do you have safe deposit boxes here? Look, it's not my nature to be mysterious, but I can't talk about it and I can't talk about why. Oceans 12 is the 2004 sequel to 2001's Oceans 11 with uh, such names as George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, and Matt Damon. It's streaming right now on Amazon Prime if you're into that. And so to synopsize this this second Oceans movie from Steven Soderbergh, I have nothing to say because it's nearly impossible to synopsize um but basically you know terry benedict the casino owner who they ripped off in the first one has caught up with all 11 of these guys by some means like the first half hour of the movie is kind of like getting the band back together by way of being herded by the devil's walking stick (laughs) like everybody get back in this fucking room you owe me my money back i need it all back plus interest in two weeks or i'm gonna kill all of you and then they're like at the simultaneously, kind of like, well, he couldn't have found us himself, so there must be some kind of master jewel thief tipping him off. Um, but also being like, well, we got to try to pay the money back, so maybe we should take some small jobs from Robbie Coltrane, who plays Hagrid. And then outside, of <laughs> not in this film, though, <laughs> right? But he's in this movie. And then outside of that, he's normal size. You kind of have, you basically have Danny's entanglement from the first movie with Tess. Played by Julia Roberts is now that entanglement has been reserved for Brad Pitt, who has been seeing Catherine Zeta-Jones, who is in the uh, Master Thief Apprehension Branch of a organization <laughs> of a law enforcement organization <laughs> called du- Celebrity Crime <laughs> called Europol, <laughs> um, which I'm not sure that's real. But one of my like one of my low key favorite scenes is when Catherine Zeta-Jones is presenting at the Master Thief Enforcement Convention. And it's kind of like, yeah, you know, in 1987, this person stole the Mona Lisa and, like, get your coffee in the lobby afterward.
1: Right. I thought it was interesting, too, that, like, whatever presentation she's giving is not that important that it can't be interrupted with, hey, crime happened. Right.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, I feel like they don't get a lot of, how often do Master Thieves strike? I don't
1: know, like, what does her work week look like? It's unclear. uh, Yeah,
0: I think she spends much of the year just, like, going over old files, kind of idolizing these people and waiting for them to strike again.
1: And knowing, like, too much about them. Well... But not knowing enough about Brad Pitt that she didn't realize that, like, he was the thief she was chasing three and a half years ago.
0: Let's make this the entry point, because I feel like what you've just described is, doesn't this movie have some kind of strange... Comic book tendencies
1: I don't know if I would go that far I think this movie is Steven Soderbergh Trying to make like a French New Wave movie about like star Crossed lovers Brad Pitt And Catherine Zeta-Jones but the only way Warner Brothers would finance it is if it Were another Ocean's Eleven movie That's right My (laughs) So he like makes it He makes it as like I almost think, like, he makes a good movie that he wraps in, like, the worst version of what you can do with an Ocean's Eleven movie.
0: That's fun. Two hours ago, I was watching this with my uncle, 10 feet from where I'm recording this podcast now. And he's like, I just love Catherine Zeta-Jones. I would watch her drink a cappuccino for an hour. And I was like, well, that's probably in the director's (laughs) cut of this film. But Warner made him take it out
1: probably yeah <laughs> now, this could have been a mini series from the amount of takes i imagine they did don't you feel like this is you knew like from the opening montage you know this movie's pretentious mhm it's like very happy that it made ocean's 11 but it also doesn't want you to forget that it also is from the director of traffic
0: that's interesting yeah with kind of like the almost like stroby cuts
1: yeah i'm going to make you like an art film right Okay. okay, Steven. Well, yeah. Or I'm gonna make you hate a commercial movie.
0: One of those. <laughs> Whatever two. Steven
1: Soderbergh's well, End Game is here. I
0: don't know. I do find it a little entertaining, On just like a podcast criticism level, to be like Steven Soderbergh is trying to entertain himself in a form that like, he already mastered because it was so easy for him, which is part of why Ocean's Eleven is so fun to watch because it's easy for the thieves and it's easy for the man who's moving the thieves around the chessboard. And so much of this movie is kind of like, oh, I could do more than that because I'm a little bored with that.
1: Yeah, but in the process, like, I almost feel like this is sort of a... Didn't it it kind of feel like the making of a movie that you haven't seen? (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. You know, like, it's the making of Ocean's 12. And it, like, happens, like, the documentary aspect, like, has some interesting twists. But, like, the jokes aren't as funny as the first one. And, like, the setups aren't as witty. And it's, it's almost like they change who these characters are, too, in sort of a not... More entertaining but less sort of way
0: Mm
1: -hmm. You know like The Casey Affleck's character Is sort of like a whack job In the first one and like his bickering with uh, Scott Conn like Knows no ends And in this one it's like not there and i guess maybe like audiences after this was released said like we want more looney tune and that stuff and then like that's why the 13 one is like has its own side movie with them at this like mexican dice factory
0: right <laughs> i forgot about that i forgot about 13 but like all, there, this
1: movie doesn't have like that much fun like th- there isn't like, their what their lives have become, like, is kind of sad. Yeah. And not in, like, the sad, like, cute. Like, I think Danny Ocean's, like, kind of losing his nerve. And he, like, he never misses a beat, like, really in the first one. In this one, like, there's a scene where, like, Rusty walks away from him. And then he, like, pathetically, like, is still talking to himself. And then there's the one where he seems sort of like, I know they're trying to go for, like, he's bored by everyday life. But he almost seems like... like the banker has a foot on him when he's trying to just like open up a basic retirement account.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I, I like the way it kind of like gives itself to pit a little bit. I mean, I, cause I think that like, where where are you going to go? Like, you're going to like shake up all these pieces. You're going to shake up all 12 pieces in a, in a box and like pick them out at random. And I think that pit is the, is the, star shining brightest of this movie. And he's got that haircut. He just looks great. And there's that hilarious line about him dressing like a, tell your friend he dresses like a gigolo. And then you like watch his clothes for the rest of the movie. And you're like, yeah, but I might like, I might pay him for a ROM in one of these Italian hotel rooms. He looks, absolutely. he looks so, I mean, I think that I'm not sure. It's definitely worse than 11. And part of why I picked it is that there are a few, People, a few critics who think this is better than Eleven, and they are dead fucking wrong. But after a weekend of watching the movies we watched, I was like, "Well, this is this is a good movie compared to Austin Powers: The Spy Who Shagged me.
1: I think I can maybe get on board with you that it has like some greater depth or something. Up until two moments, two moments just ru- like set and match ruin this movie. <laughs> Number one is the bit where they are like, you know who kind of looks like Julia Roberts? The woman, the character in this movie portrayed by by uh, Julia Roberts. And then they, like, pretend she's Julia Roberts, but then Julia Roberts calls. And then Bruce Willis, like, recognizes her, but, like, also doesn't. Okay, so, like, fine. Like, if that was the movie's only, like, Ugh! Like, I would have gotten past it. But then there's this bit at the end where we're sort of looking back into how the Night Fox broke into the museum where he stole the big egg. And he's gotten through all the the booby traps in this museum to get in. And then he gets to the laser floor. And the lasers are random. And there's no pattern to it. So... You, there's no way to, like, sneak around it or anything. It's moving fast. Mm-hmm. So what the Night Fox does is he puts on this, like, annoying European pop song.
0: I thought it was sophisticated.
1: And pseudo-sophisticated pop song. And, like, dances his way through the laser wall, the laser floor. That's right. Which is totally preposterous. Mm-hmm. it. Music itself, like, has, like, a beat. Like, this laser wall, like, doesn't have a beat. Like, if it's totally random, like, dancing through it's not going to help
0: you. Because there is no rhythm.
1: There's no pattern to it. <laughs> There'd be no way of knowing where anything was going.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Then, I have to say, that that's two things. I'm going to throw a third thing oh, in there. Oh, three things. The ending of this movie is such a fuck you to anyone watching it. Yeah. It is, like, notorious. You've referenced it countless times, on this podcast alone as being an example of, like, not how you make the ending of a movie like this. I know.
0: I was kind of hoping you wouldn't remember. The movie
1: basically has a callback to one of the early scenes of the, like, last little mission where, like, George Clooney's on the phone. It turns out he's, like, arranged to, like, have the egg, like, directly. Like, he calls FedEx and is, like... Just deliver the egg right to us, and then, like, we'll have the Night Fox pretend he's going through this whole thing because otherwise he would, like, know what we were up to. Which doesn't make any fucking sense. And. Bad, bad.
0: Ah, So I agree. I agree Uh, that the thing with Soderbergh, if you look at Ocean's Eleven, and if you look at Logan Lucky, too, his new movie that came out this year, is that the twists of his movies are more like cheating magic tricks and some of them are charming because there's nothing that you could have seen That's, you know it's not like an Agatha Christie book where it's like ah, I noticed the way that that teacup was described that it was that guy it's like you don't know that they're coming in the like they're they're the ones with the ambulance and you don't know that like they could dig a hole beneath this racetrack this yes is the worst offender of that it's like taking that over the top it's like it's taking it from like stage show to middle finger you're right but yeah. I think...
1: The prestige uh, is no good.
0: But that's right. I like that. Um, but I don't know, man. I think... And again, it could just be like the movies we watched this weekend. But if you already know that like the, that fucking ending's a disappointment, and you know it's not a good good, you're still watching like this fucking talent. Just going to town while like one of the best technical directors of his day just like tries to entertain himself and for me like it's an easy bad good
1: see i just sort of picture steven soderbergh like drinking espresso out of a little cup and going like you know like to a camera he's not even looking in the right direction at he's just sort of waving them off going like just let them do as many takes as they
0: want right <laughs> yeah i will say i'll cut it together later i mean that definitely happened and, right. and you know what i'll fucking let everybody know by the way i cut it
1: they went to Europe with, like, a $100 million cast and, like, a $20 million production budget and no scripts.
0: Right. And they made an
1: Ocean's movie. That's right.
0: And at the end, they were like, the big twist is it already happened, you assholes.
1: The big twist is what you actually watched was a montage of people getting back into a room together and then a movie about nothing.
0: <laughs> I, so what I like is that Ocean's Eleven is great. It's one of my favorite movies. And that, like... 12 and 13, like, represent the two different flawed sides of 11's consciousness, like, taken to their extremes.
1: Right, because 13 is just, like, a retooling of 11.
0: Right, but, like, with, like, Matt Damon and uh, Ellen Barkin, like, with that fucking pheromones thing. And now Andy Garcia's on their side.
1: (laughs) Oh, and the nose. You remember the nose? (laughs) Do you remember the nose?
0: I think the one thing that, watching this... Watching 12 reminded me Is that This franchise would be better without The Linus character
1: In Ocean's 11 anything I think most things would be better with Damon I've really come around
0: on him Would be better with or without him
1: Without Damon, sorry
0: um, Yeah, I mean in the first one he's What's what's happening in this one Is it, it parallels the fact that like Linus wants to be more involved with the crew With Matt Damon as becoming a bigger star, right? And he needs more to do right. in the movie, and so that kind of parallels his asking, but like, there's just not enough fucking room. Like Clooney and Pitt are the stars of this movie, and there's no reason that like Matt Damon needs to be asked to like, be like Nebishy or something.
1: Yeah, it's unclear like what they're thinking with him. Um, but yeah, I, I find Matt Damon lately to be pretty annoying. yeah. Well, after five rounds, a little bloody and certainly tired. <laughs> Chance, are you ready to go into our sixth and final movie? I
0: feel a little bit like uh, Banks being carted off the ice with permanent brain damage, but I'm ready to go.
1: <laughs> oh, this movie thinks concussions are so funny. Yep. Uh, yeah, Mighty Ducks. You want to synopsize or shall I?
0: It's, I think we've synopsized our own movies, so you go ahead.
1: The story of The Mighty Ducks is that is set in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota. <laughs> And we open up and to a prologue over title sequence of a young boy who had everything going for him in the world of pee-wee hockey. He was the star, the rising star of the best team in town, and he had his clutch moment where if he scores on this penalty shot, he wins the year, wins the championship for His coach who only cares about winning. It's winning or death to this guy. And this young man's name is Gordon Bombay. An
0: incredible name.
1: An incredible movie name. And Gordon Bombay takes his shot on goal. And by half an inch, he misses the goal. And it hits the post. And it bounces off with this deafening plink. And we cut to... What 15 years later, I don't
0: know how old Emilio Estevez is. It's unclear
1: (laughs) how old Emilio Estevez is because, well, the interesting (laughs) thing about this movie that I only know knowing how the other two movies play out is that Gordon Bombay makes a like a run at going pro, yeah, in the second movie, okay, so he can't be like older than 30, right? He has to be in his late 20s. In this movie In order for the second movie to make any sense So A late 20 something Like only a few years out of law school He's 30 and 0 Uh, This is Gordon Bombay He's grown up to this sharky lawyer And we see him like Putting up a good fight for like a scummy looking guy Against like a kindly looking old woman And he like can win Because he's the sharky Like moral-less lawyer Because
0: it's a Disney movie We have no idea really like What kind of law he practices Or anything like that No, he
1: just represents clients in courtrooms That's right
0: Because he's not a DA He's a bad man
1: Yeah, he's one of the bad men So Gordon pulls a real scumbag move And celebrating his 31st win He uh, is drinking and driving He's got a bottle in the car with him Gets pulled over by not one But two police cars and he then goes before the judge and the district attorney who he just embarrassed earlier in the day. And um, they sentence him to 500 hours of community service. And he goes into his CEO, Mr. Duckworth. <laughs>
0: Played by Joseph Wink. Summer.
1: Um, Who plays uh, your credit to capitalism, Jack, from The Family Man. That's a, that was a great line pull earlier. I'll give you credit for that one. Thanks. And he says, you know, to make you a better lawyer, to have you learn something about life, I'm going to give you a leave of absence for a time so you can complete your 500 hours of community service. And what we've decided, what I've decided for you is to have you coach a peewee hockey team akin to the one you – but he doesn't reference it. I don't even know if he knows. It's a, It's the worst thing he can – possibly imagine though is like going back to hockey when he was at that age because a he lost the championship and then we find out incidentally that his father died that year that's
0: right
1: so he then goes in his limousine and goes to a local ice sheet where some (laughs) young boys just happen to be playing uh some sort of intramural hockey
0: Averman Dave Conway Charlie Paul Terry Now, here's the long and the short of it. I hate hockey and I don't like kids.
1: We was supposed to be, a pep talk?
0: Look, I'm sure this will be a real bonding experience. Mm. Maybe one day, one of you will even write a book about it in jail. (laughs) Funny. (laughs) Is there a goalie? Uh, only for a little while. I'm uh, moving back to Philly. Thank you for sharing that. No problem. All right, get out on the ice. Let me see what you can do. Uh, just so you know, you really suck. Hey, I'll decide who sucks around here. (laughs) Yeah, to take the Ducks all the way to the Wee hockey finals using exclusively trick plays and not really teaching them much about hockey.
1: Right. He's still essentially teaching them how to cheat because, like, he has a cheater's heart.
0: Right. <laughs> he is an attorney, after all. He's not a doctor. blood-sucking a lawyer. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so what's immediately <laughs> apparent about Mighty Ducks, which you've tried to get us to do Mighty Ducks a few times, and I've... I've denied you each time until now, because you sprung it on me last after I took away Underworld. What's immediate? Well, immediately a dynamic that is both like pathetic, but also, <laughs> but also funny, is Emilio Estevez being out acted over and over and over again by children.
1: <laughs> children. <laughs> oh, it's so true. Um, this movie like only has sentiment and. I don't really know it has sentiment like a pretty amazing score when the score flourishes at like those big moments it's like a pretty memorable
0: it's almost enough in those big moments to distract me from the fact that those aren't the actors playing hockey and that I can't see any of their faces it's a good score.
1: It's a pretty good score, and then you have endearing child actors carrying around a story about a sport you probably only tangentially understand.
0: Yeah, you got uh, you got baby Joshua Jackson. Uh, You got Margaret. You got Marguerite Moreau, who I love.
1: Yeah, Um,
0: you got a ton of other kids. That's for damn sure.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you've got Uh, uh, Goldberg. You guys all remember Goldberg, and you've got one of the Tamborelli brothers.
0: Goldberg's super famous from uh, D two and D three, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he was in heavyweights as well.
1: Oh, that's true. Uh, um, Disney films. Disney. Right. He, he plays the overweight one who's really learned how to accept it.
0: He had a four film contract from like ninety two to ninety six <laughs> with Disney. Um, oh, yeah. Man. So, but Emilio Estevez is just like the when he shows up on the ice and he's supposed to be like you know above all those kids and. Is it, is it Jesse Smollett Like somebody also who became famous is just like Listen coach like we don't give a shit about you And it's just like Oh yeah bro Well I don't really want to be here either He's not really pulling off He's not exactly uh, Jeff Bridges and the Fisher King In terms of like You know being above everyone Well can we talk about sort of the elephant In the room about this movie The fact that They created a an NHL team off the Mighty Ducks? Is that it? Did they really do that? Yeah. These movies were so apparently like good for hockey, the NHL created a team called the Mighty Ducks.
1: They were in California, right? Anaheim, yeah. Anaheim. Yeah, I, did, I didn't realize that they existed second to the team or to the movie.
0: They sure did. Hockey was apparently struggling so bad, they were like a movie that made $50 million is enough to justify the creation of an expansion team. In the early
1: 90s for a children's film, maybe that's a lot. <laughs> I think it probably is. Um, but the elephant in the room for me is the fact that this movie was essentially remade using baseball. You're trying is to talk about hardball right now? Hardball. And I have to tell you a funny sort of incidental story. I was in my friend Andrew's apartment earlier, and I was telling him about the podcast and, like, what we were doing. And then I said something to the effect of, it's funny that, like... No one's ever written, like, a think piece, like, taking down Hardball. Like, you'd think, like, that co- sort of cultural criticism, like, would exist. Like, I wonder why that didn't happen. Do you know why that didn't happen? Why? Because it came out the week of 9-11. Oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling, you're telling me that, like, a lot of veteran critics have, a, like, a Microsoft doc saved somewhere that never ran. That
1: probably never ran, because, like, they didn't have room, and nobody cared. Right. Um, Like, no one probably remembers Hardball, which is probably for the best.
0: Yeah, it's probably troubling.
1: But let's get back to the Mighty Ducks. A a warm, heartwarming uh, children's film, and I feel especially like warmer on the holidays, sort of watching it because it's like wintry.
0: This is okay. This is classic. Noah has nothing to say, but he's like trying to get me to a good, good. Oh, a holiday feeling. Something that I like. This movie is uh, not good, um, (laughs) but it like it might be charming. Like it, it throws to kids rule, adults drool at the right time. You know, mm-hmm. like it has the good sense to be like, Emilio, just get out of here while these kids like, you know, like tackle each other and, and learn to skate and like that's and like run around the mall and like you can't deny that. Like it's fun well, to they watch roller the-
1: skate through like the the mall there. I love
0: that. Yeah, it's nice. Um, so it like throws to them at the right time. Um, and then you just have like asking one of the most famous teen actors of the 80s to deliver the line. Quack, 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 Mr. Ducksworth Is <laughs> like uh, You know, he's embarrassing himself um, And then you've got I have you all, all my questions about What is it called, Hockey Today?
1: It, it is an interesting universe that they live in That like The crux of the movie Sort of hangs on the moral decision Of like whether like A player on the Ducks has been Gerrymandered
0: Yeah, of Friday Night Lights Season 4 plotline Right But that's the thing that, like, you know, Friday Night Lights, you spend forever, like, learning what football means like high school football means to west texas but like when the like adam west batman style hockey newspapers start to like spin up toward the screen is just like bombay is back at it baby it's like what who is the like, audience what for this? copy
1: editor for what <laughs> fictional newspaper like came up with that headline and was just like is it is it really a slow weekend <laughs> today hockey that yeah. like this guy who played peewee and didn't even like do anything that great he, he lost a championship right. 15 to 20 years prior
0: it is hysterical that this movie gives no explanation for like these new york post hockey zine headlines like riley all riled up bomb babies on their way to the playoffs right <laughs>
1: oh
0: my god um yeah but are you about to argue that this movie's good good because i think it's a pretty easy bad good
1: Why do you think it's not? You just don't think it's very well acted.
0: I don't think it's very well acted. The you can't you can't tell me that like when I'm watching like the last twenty minutes of hockey and it's none of the actors and they don't show their faces in the uniforms, that's not that's not well executed. Emilio Estevez is not great. Like the mom Emilio like dating plotline is not great. It's only enjoyable because it's short and. Uh, You know contrived And cute Yeah I don't know I think it
1: because it, It like it has a lot of kids to like Show and I think it does like a pretty admirable job of giving them all sort of like things. And it's sort of impressive that like a child cast can be so good it on ensemble, if you will.
0: Is, is that impressive or is that just like the baseline of this like little giant genre? Like, of course, all the kids have gimmicks. That's, the, that's the, all the movie has to do. I like how the
1: way they come together when they like Again, freak out with describing. the principal and they're like quack, quack, quack. <laughs> do it with me, Chance. Quack,
0: quack. You're- Merely describing cliches of the genre. this does how does this elevate to good good? I don't
1: know. i I, I see Emilio Estevez as a as a real like John Keating acolyte. <laughs> <laughs> like really teaching them like how to be men. <laughs>
0: oh, men who God. play
1: hockey by the rules
0: and Margaret Moreau. Um. right. I'm going to have to
1: say it's the softest, the way you would catch an egg with a a hockey stick, sort of soft,
0: uh, good, good. Okay. Well, I feel like the fact that, you're so eager to run up your own point total as though you were Coach Riley himself yelling, let's run it up so the whole stadium can hear. (laughs) means that the points game is over. I'm going to give it a bad good out of politeness. Uh, And this here ended the Megapod Volume (laughs) 3. Well,
1: not until we tally the score.
0: I just said that I don't want to hear the score. (laughs) Unless you admit this movie, if you admit this movie is bad good, then i will let you read your score on the air otherwise going to will... change my otherwise phone. i'll edit it out i'll do it people are going to want to know if i intro and if we do the score you don't at the actually end. think this movie is good good you haven't argued effectively for it admit I that like this movie it. is bad good <laughs> i like it in a bad good kind of way i think
1: it's a well made in the Mighty Ducks canon of well made, I <laughs> want to believe a world like this exists where there is a regional weekly mag, like newspaper, tabloid style, that covers peewee hockey. And I want to know that if you talk to the guy for, with diplomatic immunity from, diplomatic lethal
0: weapon two, from
1: Lethal Weapon 2, that you will come away knowing your true purpose. That's why I go to therapy every week. This is the kind of life, this is the kind of childhood that I felt I had only through the movies.
0: Okay. What's the total? Four to zero.
1: Let's go back, so we did we were both bad bad for Jaws 4.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Scream 2, you said was good bad. Uh-huh. And I said was bad, bad. Mm-hmm. What was your third movie?
0: Oceans 12.
1: Oh. Did we both say that was bad, bad?
0: I said that was bad, good.
1: Did you? Uh-huh. What did
0: I say? Bad, bad? Uh-huh. <laughs> you said it was bad, good,
1: seeing all that wasted talent on the screen.
0: It failed in an interesting way, baby.
1: Uh-huh. Okay, so Chance, you got two points. Teenage mm-hmm. Ninja Turtles, we agreed, was the
0: definition of bad, good. We both said it was good, bad. Oh, good, bad, you're right. I cannot believe that you're actually going to take personal pride in this game that you made up when you can't even remember what we rated any of the movies.
1: You could cut out the part where I don't remember what we talked about.
0: I'm not going to do that. If you're (laughs) going to read the scores, this part stays in.
1: Okay. So we both gave it good, bad. Austin Powers, I think we unanimously said was bad,
0: bad. Roundly.
1: And then we both agree that the Mighty Ducks is good, good.
0: I said bad good. So
1: I have defeated you five to two.
0: <laughs> Listen, you ate more hot dogs than I did, pal. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Have
1: fun shitting yourself for the next three days.
0: <laughs> I really need to go see Lady Bird, folks. <laughs> we talked about that as well. Lady last Bird is week. such a fine film. Lady Bird's such so much almost better than any good. of these movies. Don't say yeah, almost it's... as good as Mighty Ducks.
1: I was gonna say almost as good as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
0: Mm. Ladybird, of course, is a movie about a female bird that grows up in radioactive waste and you know is you know, yeah, by goes her, to her, her rabbit raises
1: her to uh be a scene girl and That's right. then she goes to expensive college in New York.
0: That's right.
1: Happy Thanksgiving, Noah. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving chance. Thank you for making I th- I mean, I have to think about you a lot when I'm watching these movies. It's nice having you with me in that fashion during uh, these most sentimental of times, the times that call back to the same f- feeling as the Mighty Ducks.
0: <laughs> it's almost as though we don't have the stamina to do 60 movies or six movies like we normally do three. Um, yeah, I mean, we
1: both have the look we both are looking kind of peaked right now
0: absolutely friends of the show find more episodes if you can bear it at berealpodcast.com soundcloud apple podcasts overcast that you wherever get your shows we will be there uh facebook and twitter are the best way to find updates about our show and we'll tweet out episodes with you know gifs and personal commentary and we'll probably continue the debate we're having on this show right there in that 280 uh, character box Just one more year till the Megapod volume four. I can't wait.